Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 7th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we like to take a look at the lessons, which will be the third Sunday after Pentecost for June the 13th. And there are lessons from Ezekiel 17, 2 Corinthians 5, and Mark chapter 4. Now, I've been talking to you for some time about the plan I always have in taking a look at what I'm going to be preaching about on Sunday. One of the items I like to do is tell you something you were unaware of. And I'm talking mainly about laity, because in my former congregation, I had a number of professors from the SEM, and there were not two things, too many things that I said that they already didn't know to some degree. So that's one of the items. But there's another kind of goal I have. I read the readings until I feel I have run across a statement that appears to contradict Lutheran theology. What? You're saying the Bible contradicts Lutheran theology? No, I said that appears to contradict Lutheran theology. And for this coming Sunday, I did not have far to go. First of all, I'm going to read a passage which does not contradict Lutheran theology and is the basis of not only the Christian church, but the entire Reformation. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, what passage in our readings for this Sunday appears to contradict that idea that works are not the basis of our salvation? Well, we take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, when you first read that, that certainly seems like it's contradicting the Ephesians passage and many other passages that on Judgment Day, God's going to check you out as to whether you were good or evil. You, you can understand why many elderly Christians are kind of worried about death because they know that they have been sinful their entire life. And so when they read a passage like this, wow, they begin to be concerned as to whether or not they'll be going to heaven. So what does a pastor have to say? Well, when you read a passage like this, that at first glance appears to contradict Christian or Lutheran theology, I don't make a distinction between the two, 
then you need to take a look at the context to see if perhaps there's something in the verses surrounding this Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that would help us to understand what is meant properly. So, let's take a look at chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, what's he talking about? This is the Apostle Paul writing his second letter to the church at Corinth. What does he mean by the tent, which is our earthly home, that could be destroyed? He's talking about our body. And there were many Christians who were definitely under the judgment of others being persecuted, and some even became martyrs, which meant that they died for the faith. A good example of that would be Stephen, who was stoned by the people. In fact, remember who was holding the coats of the people? None other than Saul, before he became the apostle Paul. So, what Paul is saying that in our earthly home, which could be destroyed, namely our body, we don't have to be concerned because we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, there's just no doubt that after the day of judgment, those who go to heaven will have a glorified body. It means there'll be no pain, no sickness, no death, no sorrow. It will be total bliss, and it will be an eternity of bliss. So that still doesn't help us to understand how we know that we are not going to be getting on the basis of what we have done as to whether we go to heaven or hell which verse 10 seems to be saying. So we go on to verse 2. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now, that is happening a lot to people today, particularly with the sickness around the world, this virus, and people are really concerned looking forward to that day when the virus not only will be overcome, but heaven will be our home where there will be no such a virus. So we're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Verse 3, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Now, what does that mean, that word naked? Again, Scripture interprets Scripture. Do you recall the attitude of Adam and Eve 
after they fell into sin by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they hid from God. And why did they do that? Because they were naked. They even tried to sew some leaves together, which of course wouldn't last very long in the hot sun. And so they needed to be clothed. Now, prior to that fall into sin, they were not bothered by their appearance. But after the fall into sin, that embarrassed them. And so being naked meant that they really did not have that which is appropriate for walking and talking with God in the cool of the garden. So what has to happen is we need that new tent that we're going to be getting in our heavenly dwelling. So we are not to be found naked. The term naked here means apart from God, that we no longer have life. And that's really the purpose of the Savior being sent to restore to us life. So, verse 4, while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that which is mortal must may be swallowed up by life. You see, that is the attitude of every religion in the world, including Christianity, that they recognize that we sin, we go against the will of God. And therefore, depending on what religion a person is following, either you're going to say, well, I'm not as bad as other people. I really follow the will of God 90% of the time, not like my neighbor down the street who disobeys God 80% of the time. So you make distinctions and try and cover yourself by saying that you're not as bad as the Bible says you are. So every religion knows that you need to be clothed because in your sins, you really don't have any kind of protection against a wrathful God. Now, in every religion in the world outside of Christianity, you get that protection from a wrathful God by being good. And you try and increase your good works. You may be doing a lot of praying. You may make journeys. You may help out the poor. You may help those who don't have housing. You try and follow all of these things, thinking thereby that you're making up for your sins. When in reality, only Christianity has the only answer for sin. And that isn't got anything to do with your works. It has to do with what you believe. I don't know how many times we've said this, 
on law and gospel. But that's the difference. If you want to be saved by the law, then you obey it. And what you do is what counts. But if you're saved by the gospel, it's what you believe that counts. And not just any belief. It's a belief that Jesus is your personal Savior who paid for your sins on the cross. And by dying on the cross and taking upon himself your sins, you are now clothed. And you're clothed in what? His righteousness. So yes, while we are here on earth, we are groaning because we need to be further clothed. And that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, what does that mean? Remember the words of Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What Jesus Christ did is he restored you back to the Garden of Eden. What we mean by that, Adam and Eve were totally righteous when they were in the Garden of Eden, and then they sinned by eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree. And by that kind of rebellion against God, they lost their righteousness. In fact, they lost more than that. They were removed from the Garden of Eden. They were not able to talk to God. And also, they didn't hear conversations from God. Now, those are restored in the commandments. The second commandment gives us names of God that we should not take in vain and use them appropriately to call upon the name of God in the day of our problems. And the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day, is a commandment that teaches us that we should worship him properly because in worship, we hear him speaking to us and we are further clothed. We're clothed, first of all, in our baptism, where we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're clothed many times when we receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 5 of this text talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What does that mean? When you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your baptism, that was a promise from God that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. In other words, when a Christian is asked, how do you know you're going to heaven? All you need to answer is, I am baptized. Because in that baptism, 
God gave you promises. And in those promises are your salvation. Now, we, we still haven't really dealt with the idea on Judgment Day. He's going to check out your works. So let's get to that. Verse 6. So, having received the gift of the Holy Spirit, it says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, after Judgment Day, we'll be seeing the Lord. Uh, you'll recall what one of the great speakers in the Old Testament, with my own eyes, I will see God and not the eyes of another. So right now, we live by faith. What does that mean? We don't see Obviously, God working in our lives, but we know his promises, such as all things will work together for our good. He'll never give us a temptation beyond our power to endure as we turn to him for help. And so that's the courage that we have, even when we're away from the Lord, because the Lord has ascended into heaven but in that position of being at the right hand of God the Father, he is still with us here on earth. In other words, in a divine worship service, it's not the pastor who's leading the worship. It's Jesus Christ himself. And the pastor's words mimic what Jesus has said. So, Paul goes on. Yes, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You can understand Paul saying that because of the many persecutions that he endured and the sufferings and the beatings. And it was true among many Christians even today. In our society, you are mocked if you believe in the morality of the Bible. That's old-fashioned. And therefore, people make fun of you because you still believe what the Bible says. But Paul goes on in verse 9. So whether we are at home, that means in the body here on earth, or away, that means after judgment day in heaven, we make it our aim to please him. See, that's the goal of living the Christian life. And by the way, that thought is found in the Ephesians passage where it says that nobody should boast about your works because you're not saved by works. But listen to verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how do we walk in good works? We do that through faith in Jesus Christ. See, God doesn't measure whether you have done a proper good work by what you have done. 
he is always looking at your motivation. In a passage we talked about not long ago, Jesus really criticizes the scribes who love walking around in long robes, who like to be greeted in the marketplace and made them feel important, who wants the best seats at a celebration, and yet at the same time, they were against the widows and the orphans and the poor. And they thought that was the work of God. No, these are people who didn't have the right motivation in doing the good that they did. It wasn't out of love for Jesus Christ. It was actually out of selfishness for themselves. In fact, such selfishness is really at the basis of every one of our sins. Because rather than looking to God to know what his will is and gladly follow it, we make a decision, this is what the will of God should be because it's better for me. And you put I at the center of sin. You put I at the center of pride. And that's why all sin is selfishness. So, verse 10 now we can read. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the word all is important because Paul isn't just talking about believers. He's talking also about unbelievers so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, what's that talking about? Are not all Christians always doing evil? Well, there's no doubt that sin is definitely part of us, but there's a gift that God has given us in Christ. It's called the forgiveness of sins. And it's a restoration to the righteousness that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. For example, the best passage to look at that would be the wonderful passage of the final judgment in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats. To the sheep, God says, Come, you are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, notice that the believers, when did we do all those things? And Jesus says, whatever you did to the one of least of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. But then he looks at the goats on the left and tells them that their deeds are bad because... I was hungry, you did not give me food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink, etc., etc. And then they say, when were you in that particular situation when we didn't do those things? Perhaps they gave food to the hungry also. But here God is looking at their motivation 
that they were doing it out of selfishness rather than out of faith in Jesus Christ. That's really what this passage is all about. Second Corinthians chapter five, that you are saved by God's grace through faith, not on account of your works, because as a Christian, your works are recognized by God as fruit of the Holy Spirit and not fruit of the devil. I'm Tom Baker on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with the help of Mark Smith. We're going to be taking a look at a hymn. Now, there are two hymns that are assigned for tomorrow. We're going to take a look at O God, O Lord of Heaven and Earth. And I really like that hymn because it was written by a former professor of mine at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. Till then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.